I'm in heat, I'm in love, but I just couldn't tell her so. Welcome to Backtracks, Errol Smith Revisited. My name is Corey Morissette, joined, as always, by John Mariano. John, how are you tonight? I'm doing all right. Yeah? You look good. Yeah, like lu- lukewarm. Lukewarm? Well, I know a guy who's, who's going to be uh, better than lukewarm, and that's Scott Haskins. Scott, how's it going? Doing great, guys. Nice to uh, to be back for another Aerosmith song with you. That's right. We're, this is episode 46. Uh, last week, we covered Sheila from Done With Mirrors. We got some cool songs on the die. But before that, John, maybe you should tell the folks about Pop Rocket Radio. Um, you mean Ken Knapsack's Pop Rocket Radio? Yes. Big hits, you. album cuts, the B-sides from the, from the rock and pop world that make up the soundtrack of our lives. Look for live shows, make requests, sing, dance, and celebrate the, the music with the Pop Rocket Radio community. Ken's also been doing a lot of Twitch on his Twitch channel, so I know mm-hmm. we, I know we plug this a lot, but he recently got me into a little game called Fortnite. Oh! And my nephew informed me that the old men are about five years too late on this game, but we are playing <laughs> the hell out of it anyway, and it is a blast. Is it? My my ten year old yeah. plays that currently. She loves it. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. We 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 um finished in first place like. Five out of seven games so far. Ken's talking about us going pro. Now, how do you finish? What is this game? Isn't this like Lego blocks and you're building like cities and shit? No, I, that's what I thought too. But there's also a, a, you know, we used to play the Red Dead Redemption and I was kind of the, the, uh, how, what would you, how would you describe me playing that game, Corey? Uh, a fucking monster. Okay. You, you, yeah. just, you destroyed everything and everyone that crossed your path. So, so 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 with that in mind, and Ken 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 is stealth and precision, right? So that you can team up with people, and it's basically Hunger Games, where where you get thrown into an arena, and it is a battle royal with like fifty or a hundred people. And Ken and I have finished first five out of seven games, because because you, you know he's. Th- lightning and I'm thunder, or I'm thunder and he's lightning. However, that works. You know, I ju- I just create a shit sandwich and then Ken covers me. Nice. So, so you're playing video games all day, Scott. You're writing books. You just released a book trilogy not that long ago, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Uh, the first book came out in uh, November, just before Thanksgiving. The second one in uh, December, just after Christmas, and then the third one comes out at the end of January. Um, it's called the Universal Court, and uh, I've been working on this for about 13 years, so I'm glad it's done and out there finally. And where can the fine folks find this book out here? Amazon. It's on uh, Kindle and available for print. And if anyone would like an autograph copy, I've got a link on the website where I have also added a page for our Aerosmith podcast right here. Uh, which is fantastic. Thank you. And I got I to gotta hit that website because I know both John and I have been angling to get some autograph copies here. So. And oh, guys. Nice. Well, I've saved some for you. Oh, thank you. If if I wanted to purchase this book mm-hmm. for, for a friend friend of the family, something like I'll I'll purchase it to read it myself because I know you personally. But if I'm purchasing it for somebody, what 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 is the back cover read like? So that way, anybody listening to this might who has an interest in this might pick it up. 
Well, that is a great question. And I can pull that up and tell you, because believe it or not, I do not have that memorized. <laughs> he has the deep dive stuff memorized, which we're going to get to in a moment, but his own yes. book, he can't even yeah. talk about. <laughs> well, I wrote that a while ago. So, uh, you know, it gets, it gets kind of fuzzy. Actually, that was one of the hardest parts of the process was writing that um, the, what I wanted the back of the books to say, because you want to say enough to get people interested to read it, but not enough to give anything away where when they get to it, they're like, Oh, I knew that was going to happen or, or have any kind of a spoiler alert. And by the time you get to the description for book three, it's really difficult to, um, but, but you figure people that have, are, are looking at book three have probably read at least one, if not one and two, so you could say a little bit, but you still don't want to, you know, have any spoiler alerts out there. Uh, so basically, it's called the Universal Court. In book one, both Michelle and Philip Hicks had no idea their divorce would become a landmark case. With the law of attraction dividing the nation, the U.S. government has decided the debate once and for all must be settled. And judging this divorce case will set a whole new set of rules. Uh, they have to basically do it by the law of attraction instead of man's law. So this is kind of an interesting take on the court system. Uh, overnight, Michelle and Philip and their daughter are thrust into the nation's attention, and not all of it is good. While their attorneys are certain that they can win their case, each of them, of course, uh, Michelle and Philip are not, as they are forced to deep dive within themselves for answers. Little do they know the very courthouse the trial is set to take place in possesses a threat to them and everyone else in the building. Then a mysterious man appears from out of town. Who is he and why does he mean them harm? Will he succeed in bringing the case to a halt no matter how many lives he has to take to do it? And that is book one. Well, that's obviously wow. John Mariano. You wrote about John in your book. I find that, that fascinating. It, it, I, it, it is a legal... Like it feels like it's a legal romance story to a degree, because you have the husband and wife or ex-husband and ex-wife trying to get this divorce, and and they have this law of attraction they've got to kind of combat. And then you have this dark, mysterious man. I got a problem with these dark, mysterious men. Like, what the hell are you doing hanging out in so many alleyways? And your guys probably not hanging out in an alleyway, but at some point to become dark and mysterious, the origin story we know. As you go down a dark alleyway. I find it difficult to meet people in the light. So it leaves me a little option. I mean, I mean, that's how I eat my food. That's why that's why I eat Taco Bell. <laughs> well, it it uh it's really categorized as a legal thriller because it's it's based on, you know, the case is the major part of the book, but it's it's really about, you know, the law of attraction has gotten to the point where it's kind of cracking society in half. There's people that live uh, you know, every inch by it. And there's people that think it's the new snake oil and they're complete at odds. But it's also, you know, you've got the family story about, you know, this family that's going through the divorce, what happens with their daughter and her being caught in the middle. So it's it's got a lot of angles. But what really turned it into much more of a, like a spy thriller feel was the one day I spent on the set of the movie Jason Bourne. And I was there for about 16 hours shooting with them. And um after that, it just kind of took off into the, well, what if the government did this? And what if this happened? And what if that happened that I don't think would have uh, come into the story had I not done that for one day out of my life? I mean, you, you, you definitely have sold me, especially the, like everything you've described, I'm into. And then you mentioned that you were on the set of Jason Bourne, who we all know is played by Matt Damon, who mm -hmm. was the Rainmaker. 
and you know the the Grisham novels, and you're doing legal. Like there is all kinds of like good pedigree going on here. Thank you. It's uh, it's an interesting ride, and from what my editor told me, it's a fast read. Awesome. Well, now I, I'm going to go out on a limb, and without tipping your hand too much, just tell me how accurate I am. I think the entire uh, third act of book three is going to take place at a Uriah Heep concert. Would that be accurate? <laughs> uh, no, I should have written that in. Um, I actually finished writing the book years ago. It's been caught up in editing and, and all that. So uh, it was well before I started doing uh, Uriah Heep, the magician's podcast, but I should have said, I should have had them go to a concert at some point while the world was in danger. Well, that would have been great. And and now John, you can tell us about your book, uh, the coffee table book, uh, 100 women I'd like to pork. No, Did you no, narrow no. it down to a hundred? <laughs> Sorry, no, we, no, we're talking wait. throw mama from the train on the call. I, before, I, uh... I, I, I do, I, I do have to correct you. And we were talking throw mama from the train. But if I were writing a book with a title like that, it would be called One Hundred Porks I'd Like to Eat." <laughs> well, in all fairness, the night was moist and sultry. And sultry. <laughs> But before we go any further, here's here, here's a really awkward segue. Let's go from moist and sultry pork to the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Scott Haskett, maybe tell the folks about our our uh, our brother and sister shows on the network here. Well, I actually think that was a great one deep dive to another segue, Corey. Oh, uh, yeah, we, we've got a ton of great shows in the network. Uh, really happy to be a part of it. We've got T-Bones Prime Cuts on the other side. We've got Deep Purple Podcast. Skinnered Reconsidered, Sabbath Bloody Podcast, In the Lap of the Pods, which is a podcast all about the band Queen. We have Hawk Binge, Maiden A to Z Pod, Diary of the Mad Men, The Ultimate Aussie Podcast, Universally Speaking, The Red Hot Chili Peppers Podcast, Judas Priest Cast, and our own Corey as a co-host along with our friend Mark Kamire at And the Podcast Will Rock. We've got our buddies John and Corey right here with us on Backtracks theme music, going over songs from films that are just amazing. Uh, we've got North by South. We have So Far, So Pod, So What, a Megadeth podcast. Our good buddy Kevin, which uh, although this will air a little bit later, Corey was a guest on Kevin's show, The Tom Petty Project. And we have Quinn at N Volume for All. And lastly, we have Sav, Nick, John, and Mark at Rock Roulette Podcast. Lots of good All shows. Lots of fantastic shows. And John, this is going to air a couple of months after the fact, but uh, I, I want to throw a plug a couple of months back to Thanksgiving. You and I did a theme music with a friend of yours and a little song from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Let, let's throw a little plug for that one because I thought that was a great show. Yeah, like if you if you get if you, if you get a chance, go back and listen to it. Uh, my, my friend Lisa Molina, she's a dear old friend of mine. And uh, Corey was kind enough to indulge me and bring a guest on Sight and Scene and Lisa completely killed it. She's a former uh, Broadway actress and, you know, has many, many talents. But we didn't really talk about that much. We we focused completely on um, this love of this Thanksgiving movie um, about empathy. And um, go back and give it a listen because the whole world could use a lot more empathy. Absolutely. One of our favorite movies. And I love just Lisa just out of the blue would just start dropping names like, oh, yeah, me and Marty work together. Uh, you know, on stage, and oh yeah, then Steve Martin came by one night, and it's like, oh, let me help you pick up that name you just dropped. Like, just, oh yeah, I met Steve, no big deal. <laughs> I love talking to people in the industry when those kind of things happen. You know, uh, when when I was interviewing one guy, he was telling me, oh yeah, so and so came by, and then I was working with this person. Oh yeah, I worked with Al Pacino on a project. I'm like, it's just so casual. I'm like, yeah. it's Al Pacino. <laughs> 
Scott, I had Lisa act in a movie that the only movie I've ever written, I co-wrote, I co-wrote and produced the movie and Lisa acts in this movie. And 20 years after the fact, I find out she used to hang out with Natalie Portman (laughs) and like, 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 like as they were both coming up and Natalie goes on to have Natalie's career, Lisa in her own right acts on Broadway with Bernadette Peters and Martin Short. So like, that's nothing to snuff your nose at either, yeah. right? Like they they both they, they both did very well in their careers, and then like hey here I am and I'm like this show up I'm like I wrote I wrote like a, a dick dick and fart joke comedy and would you like to act in it for free and I'll pay you in meatballs, <laughs> sure, so movie or actual food? Uh, no no actual food like I cook I cooked an Italian like five course meal, and fed people over the course of two weeks. And pay the pay pay them in food because we didn't have enough money in our budget to pay, actually pay people, and you know room board and food is what we offered, and we got we got it shot, but we learned a very very valuable lesson, the importance of a sound guy, which is uh a, you know a luxury we didn't have or didn't know about as we got into it. And it can easily no make or break your film. Oh, it broke it. Corey, Corey got to witness some of it. It's broken. Yeah, I can attest to that. John gave me the file and said, hey, can we clean this up? And I'm like, wow, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've worked on films where we've basically had to ADR the entire film. It's not, it's it's a process you have to decide if the film's worth enough of the effort it would take to make it work. See, I think we should ADR it, but just us three. And we'll get Lisa too to do all the girl parts, but we'll just, the four of us just ADR it. There you go. I wanted to do it as a silent movie with with, with, with cards. Oh, that works too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll figure need, it out. You just need a good score. And I, I need to say, in fairness to John, if he's paying you in food, you're getting paid extremely well. This man can cook. I've never had it, but I've seen the pictures. And this son of a bitch makes me hungry every single time he sends me a picture of what he's grilling. It's terrible. Do, do, do you know what the secret is, Scott? What's that? I cook very photogenic food. <laughs> Can you could you shoot like pictures for fast food restaurants the way that they make the fries just look perfect every time? No, because I don't I don't cook French fries, so that doesn't oh. make any sense. I still think it would have been funnier <laughs> if you would have just handed her a copy of the movie Meatballs on VHS or or maybe Laserdisc. <laughs> Laserdisc. Now we're talking. There's a reference only three of us will get. <laughs> yeah, right. Remember Laserdisc? I don't know. I gotta go listen to my eight track after we get off of this thing. <laughs> Do you have an Aerosmith eight track by any chance? Because we're talking Aerosmith, we're talking mixtapes, and uh, John, the, the show that's dropping this week uh, is the one where you kind of uh, throw things into chaos uh, with your new idea for the mixtape. Uh, maybe just real quick, we'll talk about what we're doing on this show. It's been a while. Maybe explain to the folks uh, what we're doing with uh, side A and side B of the mixtape, and what the heck this all time top ten is all about. All right. Well, for, first of all, I guess, I guess I'll start with the all time top ten. Corey and I were looking at the mixtape and worried that it was going to become an all-time like top 18 or top 20 or whatever. And we were like, you know what? There's no fun in that. So let's try to find a way to cancel those things off of the mixtape as quickly as possible. So we came up with an all-time top 10, which is basically anything that was released as a single gets thrown into the mix there. And that's how, that's how you're eligible for that list. But you're not eligible for side A at all. Side, side A is anything that does not fit in that was released as a single. It could be a B side, it could be a deep cut, but you know, it's something that you're gonna use to introduce people to the band. Side B are live tracks because 
for one of the greatest live bands of all time, we needed a way to celebrate their live music. So, side A, deep, deep, deep cuts and B sides. Side B, uh, live music and all time top ten. Just the, our ten favorite Aerosmith songs. That's right, and uh, all three are looking pretty good. We got ten tracks on the all time top ten. A lot of them I don't see making the final mix. Uh, but we got a couple of singles on the dice tonight. We'll see if it, maybe we can replace something. Uh, side A, we have nine track or eight track or nine tracks. Sorry, we have nine tracks going on the mixtape. Uh, so if we uh, roll a deep cut tonight and we want to put it on there, we have to take something off. That's always an interesting conversation. And on the live side, we have six tracks currently, so we have three open spots. And we currently have one live track on the dice. I'll recap those selections here for you tonight. Uh, first up, we got Devil's Got a New Disguise. That was one of the uh, new tracks from one of their many, many, many compilation albums uh, from not that long ago. Uh, you See Me Crying from Toys in the Attic. Dream On uh, Live from Live Bootleg. Pink from Nine Lives. That's been on there forever, I think, since we started this show almost. It's been there so long. Uh, Reefer Headed Woman from Night in the Ruts. And I'm Down, a Scott Haskin favorite from Permanent Vacation. Uh, Scott, let's start with you. Uh, what are you in the mood to listen to here tonight? Oh man, you know it's been a, a crazy busy week, and I want to hear. I want to. I want to be exposed to something I haven't heard before. So I would say uh, one of not my picks. Okay, so that's what four? Because you picked what you picked. You see me crying, and I'm down. Correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So anything other than those two, John? How about you? So, so, so kind of like Scott, I want. I want to be exposed to something I haven't been exposed to before. I'm pretty sure a pink is about a vulva. So uh, let's go with pink. All right, John's horny tonight. Uh, he's picking pink. I'm going to go for a little reefer-headed woman uh, for kind of the same reason. What do you say? Let's roll this son of a bitch. Let's see what we get. And we're coming up. Pink. There you go, Johnny. You got your pick. You got to be happy about this one. Finally, we can take this one off the die. I know a lot of people are like, Jesus, just hurry up and do pink already. Tonight's the night. John, tell us about uh, your experience with pink and with nine lives. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, nine lives to me was kind of like, Let's let's see what they have left in the tank, and and in hearing songs like Pink and some of the songs that were released off of Nine Lives, it definitely felt like a bit of a downturn coming 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 off of Get a Grip and the and the albums before it. Um, it's not it's not a bad album. This is but but for this to be one of the biggest hits off of that album, I think I'm pretty happy we're getting it off the dice tonight. Well, and this was a single, so this is going to be eligible. Uh, for the all-time Aerosmith top 10. So this is going to be interesting. So I know there's some tracks on there that John in particular is not really a fan of. So do, do, we'll we, do we have 10 is really what my question is. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yes, we do. Oh, so we, so we may have like a, oh, does this barely make, make the top 10? or And <laughs> what barely comes off the top 10? Well, let's recap what's on the top 10, just so the folks know. Let the music do the talking. Chip away the stone. The other side, Janie's got a gun, which Scott was ready to boot off last week. Crazy, eat the rich, mommakin, shut up and dance. All the way back from episode two was shut up and dance. Helter Skelter and Hangman Jury. So uh, Pink is competing with those tonight. Uh, Scott, I'm assuming this is a new listen for you here tonight. Brand new listen. And I'm really excited because what the audience couldn't see was on on the screen there was an advertisement for some video games along the the bottom in in the advertisement block and there was sort of a creepy creature that was just making a face 
that was, you know, kind of haunting. And when Corey announced the song, uh, John made the same face, only a, a polar opposite happy version of it. So <laughs> I, I know that we're in for something good. That's a good omen. Oh, yeah. Pink is his new his new obsession. Pink. It's not even a question. <laughs> You're going to get some kind of lazy lyrics in this one. What do you say, boys? Are you ready for a little pink from 1997's Nine Lives? Here we go. just i i love the vibe of this song like it's just got a laid-back groove i love what tom hamilton's doing on the bass to me the bass really uh sean there uh on the intro and of course you got steven doing some kick-ass harmonica uh i really dug the beginning of this track scott how about you yeah it it really just uh, has a great feel to it i love the way that the snare drum is just kicking through and and smacking me in the chest uh, I'm trying to decide though. It feels almost more like a like a modern country song, you know, the way that that pop has kind of crossed over into country. Maybe a little bit slower version of a something Shania Twain would have done. Uh, maybe it's it's the harmonica in part, but the bass the bass is really cutting through and sounds amazing. And that snare had a very distinctive sound, didn't it? It almost like I don't want to say out of tune, but it was definitely kind of it, it was tuned down a little bit. It wasn't that nice whip crack snare that you usually get. Yeah, it's got a good bottom end to it for sure. Um, I don't know if maybe it's it, they could have added a little bit of EQ to it, or maybe it's a deeper snare, like an eight and a half instead of a six. Now, John, I know you love you some harmonica. So, Stephen Tyler, what did you think about that? Yeah, no, it's it's it, 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 it's it's fine. It's yeah. kind of what I'm going to say, and I, I say that going, I I really dug it the way that you're digging it the first time out listening to it. But now it's almost I'm anticipating the lyrics are about to come. And it's a like okay, when I hear this song now, it's about getting it over. And as great as this intro is, it draws out what follows and, and sets the pacing and tone for what follows. Um I'm I'm not gonna be a fan of this song, guys. Like I just it's like Corey kind of alluded to, to me, it's very lazy Aerosmith. I know it's laid back. You know, Scott was saying like, it's, it's like modern country, all, all of that, but it's also just not, not great. Well, and Steven would kind of morph into modern country when he went on his solo uh, track there, right? That was more country. Uh, this is uh, the songwriters are Steven Tyler, Richie Supa, uh, of course, from the rock and the hard place era and uh, Glenn Ballard. Uh, so you can kind of see why it maybe would have that that kind of new country kind of slant to it. Let's get to those lyrics that John loves so much. Pink, it's my new obsession. Yeah, pink, it's not even a question. Pink on the lips of your lover. Cause pink is the love you discover. So like you can make many great analogies for the vagina, right? But there's nothing more obvious than just using the color pink. And then in your opening lyrics, talking about the lips of your lover, as if you weren't sure what this song was going to be about. 
Well, and even if you weren't sure, they put in there's a woman in the background going, ooh, but he said the you know, pink on the lips of your lover. Ooh. So just in case you didn't get the 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 uh, imagery from that line, they threw in a little thing there for you. Scott, what do you, what do you think about Aerosmith for dumb people? I I think this would be this would be uh, you know anatomy for dummies if it were a song. Um, I I what I don't like is I feel in, in Stephen's delivery I feel like he doesn't even like the lyrics. I mean he's just kind of like saying them and not putting any emotion or or passion into it. He's like this is my new obsession, but he's saying it like he's talking about a piece of wood. And the the lyrics are definitely lazy. But if you're gonna throw in like oohs and ahs and stuff. They, you have to feel those things. And I feel like he's just so used to saying words in between his lines that he just threw that in without having anything behind it. You know, he he delivers uh, that line like Tex and Edna Boyle's Organ Emporium from SCTV. Uh, John, I know you remember that one. Uh, Dave Thomas uh, uh, played Tex. And uh, oh, uh, I'm blanking on her name. Um, Andrew Martin. I was Edna. Yeah. Come on down to Tex and Edna's Organ Emporium. We got lots of org. That, that's how he's delivering this song, and uh, I, know, I couldn't agree more with you guys. It's, yeah. it's 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 a very deadpan delivery. It's it, it's it's very it's very lazy, dry writing. It's almost like a it's it's like a bad Aerosmith parody right now. Yeah, Aerosmith for dummies. I thought that was a good point there, John. I feel like he's just like laying on his pillow and just casually writing these lyrics in his mind, and that's just how he's singing them. Yep, yep, I follow you. Pink as the bing on your cherry. Pink, cause you are so very. Pink, it's the color of passion. Cause the day, it just goes with a fashion. So he's saying pink and starting every line with pink. And then we get to the end of this verse, and it is the worst version of mouth vomit you could possibly follow it up with. It's like the words don't even fit what's going on there. It's I'm going to squeeze these words in here as quickly as I can to get to the next part. It's like, Scott, what do you call that in music? I don't think there needs to be a term for that. I, I think, it, you know, it's almost like they said, hey, let's throw in a couple of lines like the Beatles would have done on Magical Mystery Tour. Let's try to do something like that, even though we can't. And we're going to put it in anyway. And I, I think what bothers me, too, is it's, this reads like a Hallmark card, doesn't it? Yeah, what bothers me is Steven Tyler wrote Dream On when he was 13 years old. He wrote this when he was 50-something years old. And it feels like those should be reversed. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it does. I, I will say, I, I feel the need to be a little positive here on one thing. I thought his vocal delivery on the last two lines was really good. And I think everything is going to be all right no matter what we do tonight. I thought that was a really cool uh, melody that he did on that. Corey, but you have to say that in about half the time you just did and try to fit it into the music. 
and, and it's a puzzle that does not fit. Like, I get what you're saying about the delivery, but it's, this is literally a square peg going into a round hole right now. Well, well I thought the same thing by the by the time they get to no matter what we do tonight. I thought that delivery was the first line where I finally felt like he meant what he was singing about. And you know, I I talk to to vocalists sometimes and I talk to them about uh, the difference between singing the lines and making me feel the story, right? And that was the first line where I was like, okay, he really is passionate about this thing that he's claiming he's been passionate about this whole time. So that was where the song at least started to get interesting, but it, it shouldn't take until line eight to get there. Especially when you're singing about pussy. Well, yeah. <laughs> you could be my flamingo. Pink like a deco umbrella. I, I I never understood that line. Can anyone enlighten me? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, are you familiar with Art Deco? In a way, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I guess there's a, a pink Art Deco. Pink? Yeah, I get. I, I I don't really think of pink when I think of Art Deco. No, I that, think that's that what I was getting at. Just like pink is like Art Deco is usually golds and blacks and whites and, and like very stark colors. Right and very chic, like almost gaudy colors, and pink is not one of them. Like this is just kind of like I'm going to put the word that fits there. Like if 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 Kmart fit there, he would have put Kmart in there, just because it rhymed. Uh, you know, it, it this feels to me like the engineer said, uh, "Guys, I just realized we're one track short from the album, and I've got to send these tapes off FedEx in four hours. So let's hurry up and write something and get it recorded." Yeah, and Joe Perry's like, well, I got this half, you know, beaten riff, ding, 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 on a jangly guitar, and they just kind of rolled with it. Yeah. Yeah. In the middle of the guitar solo, John is stopping me. You know I'm not loving the song when I'm stomping on the guitar solo. <laughs> but I just want to point out, like, this feels like a paint-by-numbers Aerosmith in all the wrong ways, like, including getting to this guitar solo and what's going on in this guitar solo right now. It's like Steven Tyler's lyrics just hung a little bit too long into the into the solo, and, and it just, like... It just feels like it's trying to hit all the notes of an Aerosmith song without actually being an Aerosmith song. Hmm. Uh, is that the same guitar tone he was using on the solo for What It Takes? Yes, I was going to say that. It sounds very much like What It Takes. And I, I would love to hear more of it, but I can't because Steven is cod wobbling all over it with just, that's all I hear is Steven. Yeah, I want to hear me some Joe Perry playing that guitar. 
Yeah, and he had the whole rest of the song to say everything he wanted to yeah. say. And he's not saying anything. Right. <laughs> he's ruining the only part of the song I was really kind of excited about. Did you guys get enough of the guitar solo there and see why I stop on it? Was there a guitar? You, you kind of heard it whenever Steven taught, stopped to take a breath. You're like, oh, that sounds good. And then, oh, yeah. It's like, shut up. I want to hear the guitar. Oh, that's okay. I was just going to say, when I thought it was it was ending there, I thought, okay. And then it, he started up again. And I thought, why is there more? Like, you could have gotten out of it and been done right there. But let's find some more cliche things to say and... You know, let's let's find something else to rhyme with "ite." And, and <laughs> I just want, sorry, we're, we're all talking over each other, and that's what happens when Aerosmith talks over each other. But I just want to say really quick, it's okay if Corey starts playing and Scott starts starts talking over the song because Steven's talking over the song. That's my influence. <laughs> I want to be your lover. I wanna wrap you in rubber as pink as the sheets that we lay on. Cause pink is my favorite crayon. There you go. I wanna be your lover. I wanna wrap you in rubber as pink as the sheets that we lay on. Pink, it's my favorite crayon. I can't keep doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> Like that, I am so disappointed on so many levels. Uh, that has got to be some of the worst lyrics I've ever read. And coming from Steven Tyler, that's that's a huge disappointment. This was a single, yeah. Scott. <laughs> well, I blame everyone on the planet for, for this. I, I, I mean, for I, I don't know what it would have been that the record company would have seen in this. I, I What's really sad is I think it had potential. Like musically, it's got a good backing. I think if there was something better vocally happening, but come on, I want to be your lover. I want to wrap you in rubber. What exactly, what the fuck are you talking about? It just makes no sense. None. I just had a question. Like when you have colors like burnt sienna and raw sienna, right? And you got all, all these great colors in the Crayola box. Who the fuck is going to pink going? That's my favorite color. It barely shows up on a white piece of paper when you're trying to color something in. Burnt yeah, Sienna was you're... actually my favorite crayon. There you go. Yeah, unless you're an eight-year-old girl, you're not giving a shit about pink. I hear you. Yeah. Now, I'm going to... This song charted in the Billboard Hot 100. Let's see who can get closest to the correct number without going over Prices Right style. John Mariano, let's start with you. How high did pink chart in 1997? Seven. Seven. All right. John saying top 10. Scott? I'm going to say 14. And I'm sad that I'm picking a number that low. Well, guess what? You are closest. It was 27. Wow. You know, but you know, I don't necessarily think that chart is a, a reflection of the quality of the song. I think Aerosmith comes out with a new single. People go and buy it because it's Aerosmith or because they're collectors or or whatever. I don't necessarily think that means they like the song. No, and that's why I went as high as seven because it was coming off of some pretty big stuff going into this album mm -hmm. and, and, cool. and 
Pink being Pink being a ballad and the three ballads off of the last album were gangbusters. Yeah. Yeah, but this is what, like the third or fourth single off of Nine Lives? This is the third. Nine Lives didn't do that well. Uh, I think it only hit like double platinum, if I remember correctly. Uh, let me just look at it here. Yeah, double platinum. Uh, you know, Hole in My Soul didn't really chart. Falling in Love is Hard on the Knees was the big uh, opening single for that one. And then the third one is Pink. So Aerosmith wasn't really hot in 1997. Okay, but but it charted and it was the third single. So it's not like people weren't exposed to the song. I'm right. Wow. I, I would love to understand what people saw in this because I'm just not seeing it. It was a pretty cool video that had a lot mm-hmm. of like, a, you know, the heads of the band members were on different bodies. I remember I think Joey's head was on like a goat or something. It had a very cool video anyway. So maybe that did, had something to do with it. Well, maybe I'll watch it on mute. <laughs> I will say I like that line. I know John's going to make fun of it. I like the line pink. It's like red, but not quite. I always kind of done that. <laughs> as the only the joke. No, no. As the only member of this panel has, who has aced a color theory class in art school, like it's literally red with white paint mixed together, make pink. So it's like red, but not quite. Come on, Steve. Just try harder. I just want to know. I the... enjoyed it. In the writing sessions, did they each have a, a thesaurus, or was it just Stephen? I'm going to guess just th- just Stephen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you, if and what's great is like he could have had the word thesaurus and rhymed it with clitoris, and that would have been <laughs> the most cle- clever lyric of this song. Holy shit! Don't give me any ideas. That'll be on the next Aerosmith album. <laughs> Hashtag missed opportunities. I want to read your thesaurus. I want to play with your clitoris. Yeah, it fits. All right, that's Pink from 1997's Nine Lives. Guys, all right, it's time to play my my new favorite game on the show. How many times has Aerosmith played Pink? Uh, Scott, because we started with John on the impromptu version earlier, it's up to you now. Uh, give us uh, a number closest to the uh, uh, actual number without going over. How many times do you think Aerosmith has played Pink in concert? Man, considering where it charted, I'd have to think that they did it a fair number of times. But if this album wasn't that popular, maybe not. I'm going to say 57. 57 from Scott Haskin. John Mariano, are you going higher? Are you going lower? What are you thinking? What's your number? Scott Scott took my number. So <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with 58. <laughs> oh, I love it. The the jerk prices right strategy is right right rolls. I love it. Guess what? You are so far away from the actual number. John Mariano technically wins the correct number is 486 times. What? Yep, he actually seriously song. sang those words in front of people over 400 times. That's scary. They sang it eight times in 2020 alone. I would be I... embarrassed to sing this song in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? As of right now, I don't think they've done it on the residency. I know they're getting ready to do another uh, 
another uh, set of dates uh, in Las Vegas at the residency. Maybe they'll bust it out, but uh, let's see. The latest they did this, I think, was, well, 2020, they did it eight times. And then 2019, they did another six times. So uh, just now and then they kind of bust it out. The big one, of course, was 97, 98, 92 times on the Nine Lives Tour, and then 85 times uh, the year following. So um, the big question, though, guys, is Pink is now eligible for the all-time top 10. So uh, did you guys like it enough to replace something uh, on the top 10 with Pink? Let's start with, well, I'm pretty sure I know how John's going to vote. So let's start with Scott. Despite everything I've said about this song, I did not like it enough. I thought I was kind of subtle about my feelings. I did not like it enough to say it would beat anything on the all-time top 10 for me. All right, John. I would rather listen to a horn toad fart than listen to that song again. All right, that's all for two. My vote doesn't really matter, but just for the sake of art, I would have also voted no. Uh, I wouldn't take anything off the all-time top 10 uh, for Pink. So that is now off the die. Now it's my turn uh, to pick a new one because I believe I put it on there. And I'm going to go with a track that one of Aerosmith's biggest fans that follows our show, a fellow by the name of Michael Green, uh, asked us to put on the die a long, long time ago. And John and I kind of took a hiatus. We kind of forgot about it. It kind of fell between the cracks. It's now my time to put a song on there. I'm going to put his song on there. Uh, Thank you very much for listening, Michael Green. We really appreciate your support. And I'm adding Magic Touch from Permanent Vacation to the Dime. Good song. And to, uh, to add some lyrics to the new Aerosmith song that John was writing earlier, uh, we'll have to add the line, I want to be your stegosaurus. Oh, there you go. Because it just it just fits with the way that we're doing the song tonight. What else? Our, our, our verse is way better than the rest of that song. <laughs> okay, we is. need one more. Then we got the Thoris, uh, Clitoris, and Stegosaurus. What else do we got? You need four lines at least for a verse, right? No, you could do three, and then you, you could do, do a bridge line into the chorus. Okay, what's the bridge line? Oh, oh no, wait, no. Before you get there. Steven can say something like "Don't be a Boris" because he does he does stuff that doesn't make sense, and he can just throw a random name in there like Boris, like "Don't, don't be, be a Boris. Boris," right? You're gonna really hate I, this chorus. Yeah, I want to be your Stegosaurus, <laughs> <laughs> or just yeah, da, 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 da. <laughs> Do it, John. I, I of, John does the I best. A giddy giddy gal. Yeah, that was pretty good. You, you were like Steven. You're pretty laid back. You didn't give it your all this time. I, I just felt I should match his energy. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. So uh, Pink, kind of a dud for us here on the panel tonight, but let us know. Maybe we're out to lunch. Maybe you're a big fan of Pink. Hit us up on uh, Twitter, uh, at BT Aerosmith. Assuming Twitter is still a thing, we're two months uh, into the future here. Uh, for you, all we know, Twitter You can find us on Hive if it ever loads. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I kind of follow John over to Hive, and yeah, I'm having a hard time just following somebody or you know doing anything, but hey, could be cool. I don't know. I, I will say uh, when I logged into Twitter to uh, to to announce the newest version of my other podcast, uh, I saw a tweet from Elon Musk that just had a black pirate flag and no explanation. Ooh. And I thought, I have no idea what this means. Maybe we'll be here tomorrow. Maybe we won't. But uh, there's no way to tell. It so, doesn't seem like a good sign. It well, doesn't. I, I disagree. Like, I would be concerned if it were a different color pirate flag. But the fact that you specified it was a black pirate flag, at least it was the right color. Um, like pirate flags should only be
be black because it looks weird if they you just pick a random color. Like like a teal pirate flag would feel off off brand for me. But what if hey, pink if it, was your favorite crayon? There you go. I'm 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 a raw Sienna guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's put a ball on this one. John Mariano, uh what do you got coming up where the folks find you online? All that kind of good stuff. Oh, you know, you I would say you can find me on the Twitter, but I'm not sure what um, is going on on Twitter right now. So you can just find me on this show, Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, and you can find me on another show called Backtracks Theme Music, and that's about it. Those are the only two places I probably exist on the internet in the future right now. And maybe Hive. Hive. We're assuming Hive is probably going to be gone by the time this show airs. We don't know. <laughs> Scott Haskin, how about you? I know you got a ton of stuff going on. Uh, let's uh, let the folks know about it. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. By the time this comes out, I'll probably be gearing up for two new seasons of Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, as the new album Chaos and Colors drops on January 27th of 2023. Very excited about that. And I'm doing a short warm-up season uh, to kind of get back into the groove of things before I do that one. And uh, then there's the Haskin Cast podcast, of course. And you can find links to everything on my website, including a page for this podcast at www.scotthaskin.com. We finally have a stable home for this show, John, uh, other than Anchor. We're actually on the Scott Haskin uh, uh, website as well, in case Twitter goes away. That's really our only other social media presence because I'm only one man and John won't help. Uh, because I'm doing other shows. I'm doing Backtrack Steam Music with John Mariano, and I'm doing And the Podcast Will Rock with an equally lazy Mark Kameyer who won't uh, haul any of the weight when it comes to social media. Uh, but we're talking all things Van Halen, and we're doing live shows. Uh, this is probably going to air after the fact, but we're planning a big deep dive December live show, uh, hopefully featuring uh, one Scott Haskin above us here and uh, some other uh, friends from the Deep Dive Podcasting Network. So uh, if that happens, and if you missed it, go back on YouTube and check it out. I'm sure it's going to be a blast. We've got a lot of fine folks on the podcast tweet here, and I recommend you check them all out. Uh, they do fantastic work. But until next week, on behalf of John Mariano and Scott Haskin, my name is Corey Marsa. Thank you very much for listening here this week. And as always, we'll give the final word to Stephen Tyler.